all can have a seat. Uh, if you are on the left side of your row, and this hasn't already happened, you can reach down and grab the register, pass that down the row. Uh, Pastor Brock forgot to mention that. We'll be forgiving. He's usually preaching and has the word to fall back on. No. Uh, my name is Brian, and uh, I'm one of your pastors here, and I'm just, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to open up God's word with you this morning. You can turn to Ruth chapter uh, 1. We'll start in verse 22. Uh, if you uh, don't have a Bible, there's one around you, under a seat, under a coat, something like that. Steal your neighbors, uh, whatever you want. Just get the Bible in front of you. Uh, turn to Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. Before we begin, we are continuing in our study of the book of Ruth called Hesed. Hesed, if you remember from last week, is God's covenant-keeping, faithful, loving kindness. We're going to see that all throughout the book. Although, if we were to summarize where we've come from, we might wonder exactly where it is. If you recall, uh, we first got introduced to these characters as they, uh, verse 1 says, uh, there was a famine and uh, they left. They went to the country of Moab, and there was great devastation. Naomi uh, lost her husband, her two sons. Uh, one of her daughters-in-law returned. So we are left with Ruth and Naomi in devastation. And as we open up God's word, as we open up to the Old Testament, uh, it's helpful to keep in mind that there are really almost, anytime you're in the Old Testament, there's really two layers of stories going on. There's the story of what's happening to these people right now. And then there's also this greater upper story of what God's doing from the moment of redemption. Think about it like Star Wars. If Star Wars had had a plan from the beginning. Like right now we're in act two of uh, Empire Strikes Back. And uh, we can start to see glimpses of what might be happening uh, through this whole story. In fact, the whole Old Testament points to the person of Jesus Christ. If you go back to the very beginning in Genesis 3.15, we see that like a telescope out of focus, God is pointing us towards his redemptive plan. And then all throughout the Old Testament, it's like the telescope comes into focus. And then in Matthew chapter 1, we see who this person is, the person of Jesus Christ. So even as we are studying the book of Ruth, we're looking at what's happening to Ruth and Naomi and how they're reacting to the circumstances that God's put, us, put them under. But we're also seeing how God is preparing the way for the person of Jesus Christ. So as we look at this, I want you to see both of those things. I want you to see how Ruth is responding to her circumstances but I also want you to see what God is doing to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. We're going to actually start here in uh, verse 19. If you recall, we talked about this last week. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. This is after everyone has passed away. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Lots of gossip. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? At the end of last week, many of you stood to acknowledge the devastation that you feel in your lives. It was a beautiful and powerful moment as the people of God surrounded to pray. 
And as we flip to the next verse, the question that we're asking this morning is how do we respond now in the midst of that acknowledged devastation? What do we do when the weight comes crashing down upon us? How do we move from the horrors of life to the harvest that God has prepared for us? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, your word is so incredible. And as we see in these verses, Lord, the character of so many is commended, even in the midst of such challenging times. And Lord, we see how you use these challenging times to bring about your ultimate purposes. So Lord, I pray as we dive into this story that we would be able to understand it, that we'd be able to uh, apply it, Lord, that we would ultimately follow you more deeply because we have studied your word deeply. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, from the country of Moab. (laughs) This keeps coming up. It's like Ruth the Moabite from Moab. I mean, like, trying to emphasize something here. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. If you look at this, this is an exact mirror of uh, verse 1. You see, what happens is they leave because of famine, and they experience devastation, and now they're going to return and experience harvest. Out of the whole first chapter, this is the first time we get a glimpse of something good. If you were to like plot this on a, on a graph, it's like down, 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 as down as we can imagine, and then harvest. There's just this tiny little uptick, and that's what I want you to see. What do Ruth and Naomi do? They return. So in the devastation, immediately return to the Lord. In their darkest moments, they choose to return home. It says in verse 6 that there was a little bit of a rumor. Maybe God had visited, uh, visited his people. Maybe God was moving. So they return to the place where God is moving. That same movement is really important for us. When you're in the devastation, immediately return to the Lord. Well, I'm not sure what to do. Turn to God. Well, I'm upset with how things have gone. Turn to God. Well, I'm hurting and I cannot imagine the way forward. Turn to God. Go back to the place where God was moving. There are lots of reasons we end up in devastation, and I think understanding how we end up there can help us evaluate ourselves and what it looks like to return to the Lord. So evaluate yourself as we think through these things right now. If I'm in the devastation because of consequence, if I'm in the devastation because of my own sin, what does it look like to return to the Lord? To return to the Lord looks like repentance. Acts chapter 3 says, return to the Lord, repent, 
and receive times of refreshing. When you're in the devastation because of the consequence of your own sin, to return to the Lord looks like repentance. Turn back, confess your sins, choose not to follow them anymore, and follow the Lord and see what he does. Now, if you're in the devastation because of circumstance, something that has happened to you, then return and remember. Remember the promises of God. These verses that uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 12 uh, is sort of a celebration of weakness. That when we are weak, when we are in the devastation because of the circumstance and I feel like I can't go any further, God is strong. So no matter what happens in your life, and I want you to hear this, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what happens in your life, God has not changed. God is still the rock, the foundation, the cornerstone. He is immutable. He doesn't change. He is always the same. And when you turn and remember, he is there. Now, if you are in the devastation because of conflict, because you and a brother, you and a sister, you and a mother, you and a father, you and a spouse, or you and a friend can't seem to get along, then the path back is to return and repair. 1 Peter 3.8 says to live in harmony with one another. Matthew 18 lays out the process of reconciliation. So if you are in the devastation because of a relational conflict, to return to the Lord looks a lot like repairing those relationships. For me, I have been devastated in my life twice. And I remember both of them so clearly. The first time was because of a string of losses. Um, just one close family member after another passed away. And if you, uh, I've shared that story with all of you before, but I remember at the end of that string being so broken, I remember exactly where I was standing in our master closet. And I remember turning to my wife and saying, I feel like God is taking away everything I love. I also remember a second time that I was devastated when I came face to face with the consequences of my sin like never before. And when I sat down and I confessed my sin and I looked at the pain on their face, I knew that I was the cause of it. And it created devastation in my life. But both times, that God has brought me to the place of devastation, what he did was reveal famine in my soul. Both times, the Lord used that to draw me back to him. Because see, the devastation, the horrors of our lives, they have a way of revealing what's really going on. 
When we lose something, when life doesn't turn out the way we expected, when something doesn't go the way I think it should, the scaffolding of our faith begins to shake. What do I believe about a God that would let this happen to me? What do I believe about a God who would put me through this? But in those moments, something else is happening. Something so beautiful. Faith is being formed. How will you know God as your refuge if you've never needed him? How will you know God as provider if you're always out there spinning and doing it for yourself? How will you know God as comforter if you always cover the pain with something that numbs it so you never have to feel it? The beauty is, and I say this from experience, is that God is what the word says he is. And the temptation in the season of devastation is to blame God for not being good. But when we do that, what we're actually doing is putting ourselves on the throne and judging God. We're saying, I know better than he does. My desires are more important than his plan. Let's never go there. So when you're in the midst of the devastation, regardless of how you feel, return to God. By returning to God, we put ourselves in the position, in the place, in a posture to receive from him. So once we return, what do we do next? Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, uh, don't judge me, uh, but I uh, really enjoyed the show Arrested Development. And if you ever listen, uh, watch that show, and I, I'm not commending that to you, uh, but if you ever did, uh, uh, the show Arrested Development was driven by a narrator. And what would happen is the narrator would like pop on and, and they would explain something behind the scenes that was happening. Uh, the characters wouldn't necessarily know the things the narrator knew. And that's what's happening here. So I just imagine this, like as this, this verse, chapter 2, verse 1, is for us, the readers, for the original readers, not necessarily for Ruth. She doesn't know who this person is. So it's just like this little narration. Verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite, once again, what? it's like, Hello, we know she's foreign, but... And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. I just imagine like Naomi is like in utter devastation. She's just like laying on the couch and Ruth in her devotion to Naomi is like, Okay, uh, I know some things. Uh, it says in Leviticus chapter 19 that uh, those who owned property would leave the edge of the field for those who were poor. So Ruth, uh, kind of understanding this principle, goes, okay, there's some things I can do. I'm going to go and uh, let me just glean among the edge of the field after him whose sight I shall find favor and uh, surely someone will allow me, which if you're reading, should bring like a raised eyebrow. If this is the narrator, uh, in whose sight I, surely somebody will let me. Well, we just found out who that person is going to be. So, uh, Naomi gives her permission, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. 
And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, which is of no surprise to anyone, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Boaz comes from Bethlehem, Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? In the uh, movie industry, this is called a meet-cute. Um, a meet-cute is a scene in which uh, the two people who will form a future romantic couple meet for the first time, typically under humorous or uh, cute circumstances. And I've, I know I've just ruined every romantic comedy, but it's everywhere. Uh, and I just, I see it. He walks into his field. They lock eyes as he passes by. Who is this? I mean, like... He's like Zac Efron, Matthew McConaughey, Richard Gere. He's like all of them rolled up into one. He's a literal Prince Charming. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman with Naomi from the country of Moab. Okay, we get it. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. Which, we'll get to in a second, is more than she was allowed. So the Levitical law allowed some things. She's asking for more. And so she came and has continued on from early morning until now, except for a rest. Following this example of uh, Ruth, I want you to see uh, that Ruth actively responds with faithfulness and devotion. Ruth gets to work. Don't miss this. After the return to the land of the Lord, Ruth got to work. Her commitment to Naomi, her said to Naomi, wouldn't allow her to just sit and wait. It led to action. In the devastation that we experience as Americans, I think we tend to take one of two paths. And so I just want to challenge us more to consider these more fully, two lies that we experience in the devastation. And the first is this, if it's to be, it's up to me. That we believe we have complete responsibility for every circumstance we've ever experienced, and if it's going to get any better, it's going to be because I do it. But that doesn't account for the sovereignty of the Lord. That doesn't account for the providence of God. The flip side of that coin is uh, let go and let God which maybe you've said, and I apologize, but I'm going to trash it right now. The idea of that is I have no responsibility. Well, just whatever God's going to do, it's like he's just going to do it. The example of Ruth right here is that center line, which is faithfulness. I have a responsibility to obey, but I also realize I can't make it happen. Renowned theologian uh, Dallas Willard said it this way, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. See, when God, (laughs) when I can't earn God's love, turns into I shouldn't have to do anything, we've gone really, really wrong. Lord, I need a new job. 
Well, how many applications have you filled out? Lord, I need you to fix my marriage. Well, what scriptures are you studying and trying to apply? Who have you talked to? When was the last time you went out on a date? Lord, I need you to build my faith. Well, when was the last time that you stepped out in such a way that you needed faith? You can't ask God to build faith, serve your own comfort, and expect to see gains. Somewhere along the way, I think we lost something in the American church. We came to the idea that believing in the right things is the only thing that matters. And hear me say, I am the first one to say, sound doctrine is incredibly important. But we've started believing that believing in the right things is the most important instead of following the righteous Jesus. And what this sort of cheap Americanized grace has led to is intellectual faith that doesn't stand when the suffering comes. Because why is this happening to me? I believed all the right things. Lord, aren't you supposed to do these things? Because I did what you asked me to do. If I see faith simply as something I'm supposed to believe and not something I'm supposed to practice, your faith will not stand when the suffering comes. So I ask, in the devastation, where do you need to obey? Where do you need to do? He took the water that was provided and made it wine. He took the, the bread and the loaves and made a feast. So often we're tempted in the devastation to fold or to hold and in the devastation is where we push all in. And I promise you, you'll see God do something amazing. Okay, so, verse 8. Ruth has uh, gotten to work, and then she came and waited for an answer. Can imagine Ruth's feelings as the owner of the field walks over, her heart fluttering. His smile gleaming in the sun. And they speak for the first time. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to trust you, not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. We don't fully understand how amazing this is in our culture. How many times have we said, Ruth is a Moabite, and this is a mighty man of valor, and he's showing her kindness? This is remarkable. Not only does he give her undeserved status when he says, stay with my servant girls, he gives her loving protection when he says, I'll make sure nobody takes advantage of you. He gives her generous provision when he says, listen, you can even drink and eat whatever you want. In verse 10, Ruth is overcome. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? She's really insecure about that. It's humility. Verse 11, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. 
and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. What he's saying is, your hesed is well known. Your loving kindness towards Naomi has come to my ears. Verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Has said for has said. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes. Remember that? From verse 2. Maybe I will find favor in someone's eyes. Verse 11, I have found favor in your eyes, which are so beautiful. I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her the roasted grain. What a day. She left this morning with nothing, hoping to get enough to like feed herself and maybe Naomi. And at the end of the day, she's being fed by Prince Charming. This is remarkable. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her the roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over when she rose to glean. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out. So it's not enough that she just gets a little bit. Hey, will you throw some extra on the ground for her? And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. If I could put a, a banner over these, it's God provides for Ruth through the generosity of one of his people. Ruth has worked hard. She waited for an answer. And now Boaz provides more generously than she could have possibly imagined. How did Ruth respond? With humility. So in the devastation, immediately return to the Lord, actively respond with faithfulness and devotion, and humbly receive from the faithfulness and devotion of others. Don't miss the fact that Ruth asks for help. Boaz isn't obligated by her request, but recognizing her need and her character, he generously provides. His has said to Ruth through Boaz. And so, so often that's God's prescription for us. Uh, yeah, Josiah and Grace, I've asked them, why don't you come up here and bring this thing? Just a quick little illustration. So this would be the Hesed. I got old-fashioned grains. Not quite that old-fashioned, but... So the question is, where does the Hesed come from? Who benefits from the Hesed, the loving kindness? And the first thing that we see is that Josiah here, handsomely playing Boaz, gives that, uh, uh, his loving kindness, that grace to grace. 
who is playing the part of Ruth. Now the question is, where does that begin? In the story, it appears as though uh, Boaz is sharing from his own stock, his own field. But the reality is, for Boaz, he would have seen that as God's field. And so, forgive me, I don't often play the role of God, I promise. But in reality, what's happening is that the hesed of God is passing to Boaz and then to Ruth. So God is providing for Ruth through Boaz. Thank you, guys. This is important. It's important because some of you have struggled in isolation and silence for years. It's important because some of you have been feeling that devastation and instead of running to the people of God and humbly receiving from the faithfulness and devotion, you've decided you'd rather not let anybody know. It would be like if grace, when Josiah reached out to pass that kindness, had turned her back on it. And in turning her back on Josiah, she was turning her back on the Lord. There's no other way to deal with that except to call it pride. When you feel the devastation setting in, run to the people of God and humbly acknowledge your need in the presence of others. In the New Testament, Acts 2, 42 through 47 speaks to this. We just had a whole series on the church and how can we live that way unless we're open and honest about our needs? You can't and you won't. And the other thing we see is that when you're not in the devastation, when the Lord is blessing you, what are you supposed to do with that blessing? You're supposed to pass it along to those in need. And so though we are viewing this passage through the lens of Ruth, we could easily apply it through the lens of Boaz that those of us who are currently strong in the Lord should be caring for those who are hurting. Remember I talked about the upper story? The fact that we're looking at this through what Boaz and uh, Naomi and Ruth are experiencing, but it's right here that we catch a glimpse of this upper story. See, the kindness of God, the provision of the Lord, flowed from himself to Boaz to Ruth. But the beautiful part of all of this is it flows from Boaz and Ruth together to Obed, to Jesse, to David, and eventually to Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ, to you. So this moment of God providing for Boaz and Ruth and Naomi isn't just some great story that happened a long time ago. This is an active part of how God determined he was going to provide for you. 
Let's keep going. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. I didn't know what that was. That's about five gallons. That's 32 pounds. So literally, she left with nothing, and she came back with 32 pounds of grain. (laughs) The overwhelming provision of God. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out what uh, brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. That's the food from the meal that Boaz had served her. And her mother-in-law said, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Just unassumingly. His name is Boaz. Verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That's quite a transformation. Not too long ago, she was saying, call me Mara, I'm bitter. And now she's saying, the kindness of the Lord has not forgotten the living or the dead. Which even that is just this little glimpse. I don't know if you know this. Dead people don't benefit from grain. <laughs> Naomi's response is significant because she sees. Oh, God's doing something. It's not about the grain. It's about Boaz. So Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests and she lived with her mother-in-law. God is providing in ways that they don't expect. Number four, in the devastation, always remember that God is working, even when you don't see it. Ruth went out that morning having no idea she would meet her future husband. Oops, I'm giving away chapter three and four. But God was in those little details. How did they hear that a rumor that God was working amongst his people? How was it that Ruth ended up in that field that day? How was it that when she was there waiting that particular day, Boaz decided to come and visit? How was it that Boaz had actually heard about Ruth? Not just about Ruth, that this person is here, but that her character had been made known. little things. God is pulling together these details. One commentator said, Yahweh may be off stage. The Lord may be off stage, but he's within earshot. Even in their devastation, God was working. 
God was moving. God was drawing them to the place he wanted them to be for his purposes and for their good. See, it's in our devastation that we experience the hesed of God, his faithful, loving kindness. Sometimes that faithful, loving kindness is the devastation. Sometimes it's the circumstances that God uses to squeeze out all that is dishonoring to him. Sometimes he uses those circumstances to draw you back to him. Ruth and Naomi wouldn't have chosen devastation. They would have chosen to live in the land of Moab. God had a bigger plan. And that bigger plan included redemption for all people. No matter where you go, no matter what the Lord does, remember the words of Naomi. The kindness of the Lord has not forgotten you. Lord, sometimes it's in the devastation that we get to experience you more fully. We cast off the things that keep us comfortable. We realize that we can't do it on our own. We find ourselves in messes of our own making. And Lord, you are faithful to draw us back. You are faithful. The ultimate has said, covenant-keeping, faithful, loving kindness in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we turn our hearts towards worship, we remember the things that you have done. And we believe that you are working in the midst of all of it. In Jesus' name we pray.